radical left has taken over the Democratic Party. Hello and welcome to Think Progressively, covering politics and all the other chaos life has to offer. This is episode 21, recorded on Thursday, January 21st. Hey, look at that. From Milwaukee, I'm Joe. And I'm Jason. And on today's episode, we have a brand new president of the United States. We're going to talk about one last present our old president gave us and compare the 1619 project with the new Donald Trump approved 1776 commission. But first, the headlines. Fake news. Fake news. Fake, disgusting news. Up first in headlines. I don't know if any of you guys noticed this, but we have a new president. Yes. Thankfully, it actually happened. We were all worried that there would be some more craziness. Luckily, no more violence. Just a peaceful transition of power the way it should be, the way our former president would not commit to. Did you watch any of the inauguration? I did. I watched uh, Biden's speech. Very platitude-y. It's fine. Uh, Nothing really stood out to me there. I didn't get to see Kamala Harris's speech okay i i noticed and i and i said i wasn't going to say anything about this so don't tell anybody anybody who's listening um and she does listen to this podcast so maybe i'll just whisper but uh my wife who you know uh is not one to really get emotional okay um she definitely was feeling some emotions with uh kamala harris's inauguration and that's something that i'll never really know you know the you'll never know emotion (laughs) well that too but uh the you know i won't ever feel that like the first white man to be president you know we kind of got that already before i was born you know someone to see someone of your gender finally in one of the top two roles in your government uh, I wasn't expecting that kind of emotional reaction, but like I said, it's not something I can understand because people that look like me have always been in charge. Did you happen to see Amanda Gorman's poem? I have only seen parts of it. I didn't see it when it happened. If you guys at home haven't already seen Amanda Gorman recite her poem at the inauguration, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. It's on YouTube or I'm sure a million other places have put it on there. She kind of became de facto star of the show outside of obviously by Biden and Kamala. So yeah, it was a very, very powerful speech. And just the way that she just held herself with the composure she did it was just amazing. So I highly recommend it. Also, Lady Gaga sang the national anthem. Not the first time she has. I remember no. a couple years ago for the Super Bowl. And Garth Brooks did something. He's still alive? He he was there. I didn't watch it. I didn't watch that part. Yeah, I've been, as we'll get to, I've been very busy. <laughs> researching our main topic of the day uh, and i really have not had much time to bask in the glow of the end of the trump era but were you at least able to bask in the glow of all the bernie memes i have been subjected to a few subjected (laughs) you mean blessed with all the bernie memes too old to be a fan of memes oh my gosh can't stand you but with that said joe biden is officially our president of the united states they actually changed over the twitter account for potus and is now Joe Biden. So it can post again. So it can post again. Um, Same thing with the White House account on Facebook and Twitter. And also it now officially archived the old administration's whitehouse.gov website to the National Archives. I know this because I had to go to those archives just to get the damn report that we're using for today. So that's all nice and dandy. But on top of that, he's been busy. So he's not golfing. Not yet, at least. 
So Jason, let's walk through some of these executive orders that Biden has already signed. All right. Some of them are executive orders. Some are proclamations, different ways of executing. So nitpicky wise, we know these are not all actually executive orders, but they're his executive actions. Sure. He re-engaged with the World Health Organization, which we had withdrawn from or started the withdrawal from. And I think if that's, if I remember correctly, that'll take about a year to officially get us back in. Is that correct? I, it doesn't say on this website that we're both well, looking at. I, I could have sworn I heard that it takes so about a year, so we're not like in already, but it's going to happen. He created the position of COVID-19 response coordinator. Why we didn't actually have that position before, I'm not sure. It's beyond me. He began the process of rejoining the Paris Climate Agreement, which is a, a good environmental step. And along that same line, uh, he revoked the permit for the Keystone XL pipeline. Now, this one made me very happy. I don't know how you feel about this, well, there's, but I was not expecting this to happen right away. Yeah, there's multiple reasons why we shouldn't be doing this. One, it's through land that by treaty doesn't belong to us. Yep. And by the direct protest of the people who it does belong to. And two, pipelines always end up with leaks. And we should maybe come up with a better solution. Did you see Ron Johnson come out in support of the Keystone Pipeline, saying how awful a decision it was to revoke that permit? I can imagine. I don't really need to hear him say, but I get it. (laughs) They're using the blood of his fellow dinosaurs to fuel their economy. So I, you know, I can see why he would be for it. Biden has also asked agencies to extend the eviction and foreclosure moratoriums, which is very good news yep. for the millions of Americans. And again, this is still a short term solution. Like the one that he proposed in his $1.9 trillion stimulus was meant to be passed through Congress. So, but this is as much as he can do just through executive action, at least. And the same thing with the next one, which is asking the education department to extend student loan pauses, which is also great. And one that will be very important in a little bit. He. It's a spoiler alert. <laughs> he uh, launched an initiative to advance racial equity and ended the 1776 Commission. Also revoked an order that aims to exclude undocumented immigrants from the census. I believe that was the question on the census asking Whether if you were a citizen. citizen. Yep. Yeah. Which had been struck down by many courts and they kept pushing for it. Because it's idiotic. Yeah, it's not supposed to be part of the census. The census is just supposed to measure the people in any given area, not what their immigration status is. Exactly. He set forth a memorandum to preserve and fortify DACA, which helps those brought into the country at a young age work towards citizenship. Again, not a permanent solution to the immigration crisis, but definitely a step in the right direction. As part of many COVID initiatives, began requiring masks and social distancing on all federal property and by federal workers. I think this is what, like, his 100 days mask up challenge or something like that, whatever he said it was. It was something really dumb and corny. Again, something that I I don't know why it has not been done previously. Reversed the travel ban targeting primarily Muslim countries. You remember when that was a scandal? Yeah. Stopped 
construction of the border wall, which actually I think Trump had done previously, just through incompetence rather than. <laughs> well, and specifically, this is the stopping of emergency funds to be used for the border wall, where Trump tapped in, I think, tapped into FEMA and some other um, emergency funds that you could go into and redistribute from other, I think, military bases and military yeah, budgets. defense spending yep. mostly. Um, so he's basically stopped that. He signed an executive order to combat discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity, which is long overdue at this point. He is also requiring an ethics pledge for executive branch personnel. And I did see in a call with all of his incoming staffers that he basically made a point to say no one is going to be allowed to belittle another employee uh, during his administration, that that's something that has been going on for the past four years and will stop immediately. Good. Also signed an executive order to end harsh and extreme immigration enforcement. I believe this is going to be the kids in cages and separating family policies. That, out of everything in this list, I think that's probably the most important one so far. He also extended protection from deportation for Liberians in the U.S. Can't say that I knew that was a particular problem, but must be. And pretty much all of the rest of these, which were from today, are all COVID-related, increasing FEMA reimbursement to states for National Guard PPE, filling supply shortfalls... Well, and also using the Defense Production Act, which is what people were begging Trump to do months ago. See how easy that was? And even though Biden cannot force a national-wide mask mandate, he can enforce a mandate on all federal property. So things such as airports and other modes of transportation is now officially mandated to wear masks until further notice. Again, which is all good. I'm so happy. Even though most most airlines had been requiring right. but you still saw plenty of instances of people not doing it yep including republican lawmakers because they're all dicks so this is all good stuff two days in office i'm very happy about this certainly trending in the right direction we'll uh we'll find some some things to be upset about starting next week right now we'll, we'll give them a week of honeymoon okay but i mean god two days in and this is already light years ahead of what we were earlier this week and in more good news more history was made when Joe Biden selected Rachel Levine to be the first ever transgender person to be selected to a Senate confirmed position. She will be the Assistant Secretary of Health. She is a pediatrician and former Pennsylvania physician general. And a graduate from Harvard and Tulane Med School. I mean, she seems pretty qualified. I don't know about you, but... And someone who seems to have some experience with the pandemic, uh, as she was the public face of Pennsylvania's response to coronavirus. So really, at this point, I don't think we can have enough people who have experience with the pandemic as we hopefully begin to dig ourselves out of the world's worst response to covid but again more good things are happening and in even more good news man this is like the good news oh jason we are like turning over a new leaf right now like <laughs> we're gonna be such a positive show from here on out. the nra filed for bankruptcy now we do have to add a big asterisk to that statement because while the nra is definitely filing for bankruptcy they are still going to operate in fact they are filing for bankruptcy in their new york location and planning to reincorporate in texas 
So be aware that the NRA isn't actually going away. This is actually just another way of them trying to skeeve their way out of more wrongdoing because the New York Attorney General has been going after them relentlessly for all the stuff that they've been doing. All of the mismanagement of front funds and defrauding the fraud. <laughs> their donors. Yep. Yeah. Lay, Lay Pierre ain't having it. He gonna, he's going to go spend his life down in Texas. The gun-humping capital of the world. So, but it was just a good thing to hear, good thing to see that the NRA is at least on the run and trying to save their sorry little butts. Well, they'll have plenty of money to move to Texas for the leadership that just defrauded $64 million away from its quote-unquote charitable mission. So I guess they do have that in common with Trump, right? The misuse of charity funds for personal gain. Yep. Downright presidential of them. (sighs) Can't say that anymore. We're in a new age. (laughs) Be happy. Be positive. We're in the Biden era, damn it. Well, finally, some bad news. Oh, no. What's the bad news? If you do not believe in reality and you were waiting for the Great Awakening, the storm did not come. There was no mass arrest of Democrat and Hollywood pedophiles eating children. Donald Trump is no longer president. Are you saying we did not go all? We only went a little bit? We only went a few. Okay. We did not go all. And those few? JFK Jr. is still dead. (laughs) So the QAnon prophecy has failed. I'm sure it will be reworked into some other kind of deep state, even deeper cover maneuver that in the near future, only to be pushed back again and again and again. I was going to ask, what do you think is going to happen to this conspiracy? Honestly, it's not going to go away. That's not how conspiracies work, but it will evolve. Yeah, most. So what you'll get is a little bit of fracturing where you have competing theories and competing people trying to kind of get a grasp on the movement as a whole and you'll have different narratives based on that which is good for humanity as a whole because it'll lose some of the united power that they have right now but you'll see some really crazy stuff spring up from this they're they're not going away we saw what happened on january 6th these types of things never disappear completely they're always going to pop back up somewhere else but (laughs) this should show anybody who's not completely invested but maybe kind of watching from the sidelines and wasn't sure if this was real or not that no in fact it was completely false and had no basis in reality whatsoever running against the worst candidate in the history of presidential politics puts pressure on me could you imagine if i lose my whole life what am i going to do i'm going to say i lost to the worst candidate in the history of politics I'm not going to feel so good. Maybe I'll have to leave the country. I don't know. Let's talk about history. His story, Joe. It's very sexist of you. It is. Their story. Their story. So one of the biggest controversies to come out in the last year was the 1619 Project, which was a long-form journalism project developed by Nicole Hannah-Jones, writers from the New York Times and the New York Times Magazine, which aimed to reframe the country's history by placing the consequences of slavery and the contributions of black Americans 
Americans at the very center of the United States national narrative. They chose the year 1619, and this came out in 2019, the 400th anniversary of the first African slaves brought to the shores of what would become America in the colony of Jamestown. And this was initially published in a 100-page special edition of the New York Times magazine. It contained 10 essays, a photo essay, and a collection of poems and fiction. Now, I must admit, there was a lot of research that went into this episode in particular, and I was not able, because I do not have a New York Times subscription, and eventually you run into their paywall. I did not read all of the essays. We're going to mainly focus on the initial essay by Nicole Hannah-Jones, the opening essay, as that's kind of what sparked most of the criticism that we're going to talk about, and that is what won the Pulitzer Prize for commentary. Also, I think for the record, I believe the New York Times has it in audible or audio format on podcasts as well. They have a podcast that goes along with it. Okay. Uh, They also have a stage play, well, like a stage show Mm -hmm. that they do. And there's also like the extra materials, like the the, uh, learning materials that's meant for schools, things like that. Mm -hmm. So it's not just the magazine. There is a ton of stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I, I listened to some of the podcasts. I watched some of the stage play. Okay. It is it is a lot of information to consume, but we are s- still mainly going to focus on the Nicole Hannah-Jones opening essay. Got it. And that is the essay that basically posited the assertion that we could say, and which is kind of the thesis of this project that instead of 1776 being thought of as the birth of america we could think of 1619 the year that african slaves were brought to america as the birth of the american story and it basically seeks to examine all of american history starting at 1619 through that lens of slavery so that's what it sets out to do so as you'll hear as we get into some of the criticism criticism saying well you're only focusing on the story of american slavery they're definitely missing that that's the entire point of the project is to focus on american slavery because we aren't taught the entire story we aren't really given a good account of American slavery in history. And as someone who had to put in hours and hours and hours of research, and I still have barely scratched the surface, I can say that's true. I don't, I went to public high school in America and I was not well equipped to take in all this information, a lot of things that were new to me. So let's get into the criticism. The main thing that you'll generally see is a letter that went to the New York Times and it was signed by five historians. Victoria Bynum, who is a distinguished emerita professor of history from Texas State University. James McPherson, who is the George Henry Davis 1886 Emeritus Professor of American History at Princeton. James Oakes, a distinguished professor, the Graduate Center, the City University of New York. And this is, by the way, how they signed this letter. So all this distinguished, distinguished, that's all their words. 
Okay. Sean Wilentz, who by all accounts is the person that started circulating this letter. The George Henry Davis, 1886 professor of American history at Princeton. Gordon S. Wood Alva, the Wade Emeritus, Wade University Emeritus Professor and Emeritus Professor of History, Brown University. And they posited their criticism as coming from a historical scholarly position. They started it off with, we write as historians to express our strong reservations about important aspects of the 1619 project. So they were worried about the scholarship. Right. And they were, by their own words, merely concerned about the factual accuracy and were highly critical of the piece and called on the New York Times to make corrections and to publish a retraction of everything they got wrong. So I'm going to do my best to summarize without reading the entire letter what their criticisms were and what I found not being a professor of anything and not even a particularly interested in history. So their first point on the American Revolution, pivotal to any account of our history, the project asserts that the founders declared the colony's independence of Britain in order to ensure slavery would continue. So saying, and this is posited in the 1619 project that a main reason for America wanting to secede from Britain is wanting to keep the institute of slavery and worrying that Britain was going to abolish slavery. The letter says, this is not true. If supportable, the allegation would be astounding, yet every statement offered by the project to validate it is false. Some of the other material in the project is distorted, including the claim that, for the most part, black Americans have fought their freedom struggles alone. That part at the end is not really a factual statement on either side. Sure. So I'm not sure, as historians, why they would really take exception with that, because it's not something that can be proven true or false. Okay. But that's what was in there. It's not axe grinding at all. It's purely scholarly assertion. So is there any reason to support the claim that part of the desire for American independence had to do with protecting the Institute of Slavery. Well, I found a paper from 1984, so well before anyone had ever thought of the 1619 Project, before... Jason was the right old age of 23. I'm not that old, (laughs) but uh, I I was five in 1984. But well before what we consider, you know, political correctness, wokeness, any of that. This is not ideologically driven culture war stuff is right this is not that so it's patricia bradley presented this paper at the annual meeting of the association for education in journalism and mass communication the purpose of the paper was to examine colonial american press coverage of the 1772 somerset case now this is important because in england in 1772 there was a court case concerning a escaped slave from boston named james Somerset. He was brought to England by his master and escaped. He was caught two months later and was going to be sold back to Jamaica to basically be put to hard labor and almost certainly die very shortly thereafter. And a petition of habeas corpus was put in in the court in London to basically stop him from being sent 
to Jamaica or Barbados. I, I don't remember exactly which of the two, but to basically have a trial to see if they could force someone back into slavery who was an American slave in England. You do have to kind of keep in mind that what we think of slavery in America was not the same as slavery in England at the time. The chattel slavery of America, where if you're black, you're a slave for life, and all of your children are slaves, and there's no way out of the institution of slavery is not the way they thought of slavery in England, where it was much more of a temporary thing, more indentured servitude. So the laws that they had weren't the same as the laws that they had in the colonies. Now, this case was found in favor of James Somerset, and he was freed. And there was, even though it was not a written judgment, it was given from the bench. So it was an oral judgment. And there are some varying accounts at the time of what exactly was said. It was very critical of the institution of slavery and basically indicated that there was no legal basis for slavery in England. And I believe included the phrase, once a slave breathes the free air in England, they are no longer a slave. This was initially misinterpreted in the English press as meaning that all slaves were free in England, which was not the case. Slavery would go on for years after this, I believe about 60 years. But it did give people pause and definitely indicate that abolitionism was growing in England and might very well be coming to the American colonies. So this paper was written to judge what the coverage in the colonies was of that court case in England and how it was used to present a specific political agenda. So from the conclusion, I'm I'm not going to read the entire thing. It's like 24 pages long. <laughs> uh, the one, one interesting tidbit from that is, uh, I guess, things haven't changed all that much over the years. It talks about how the Somerset case wasn't really the big news story at the time, that the much larger story was a Dutch scandal involving the king's sister, I believe it was, having an affair with a physician, and that was kind of the big scandal and all anyone was talking about. So it's kind of the reality TV of the 18th century. But from the conclusion of this paper, it says, the Somerset coverage suggests the Patriot Press talking about the American patriot media, so not the loyalist England papers that there were at the time. Sure. uh, But the American kind of pro-America, pro-independence press manipulated the colonial fear of racial equality as a way of providing yet another reason for colonists to seek separation from Great Britain. So right there, this is an academic paper from 1984 that did an analysis, and there's, you can check the references all of the individual papers from the different colonies that they examined. It tells you how many words were devoted to the Somerset case versus citing this as something that colonists were looking at as a reason to secede from Great Britain. There was also a 2014 novel by Gerald Horn, who is the professor of history and African-American studies at the University of Houston, titled The Counter-Revolution of 1776, Slave Resistance and the Origins of the United States of America, which very heavily makes the same points that are made in the 1619 Project five years before they did, that the American Revolution was 
was a counter-revolution to growing abolitionist sentiment in England and was a conservative reaction to that movement. So these are two sources... I don't call that no, no support, as they say. Sure. If supportable, the allegation would be astounding. Well, there's two things supporting it from a very immediate cursory look at things that I could find. So then where's the controversy? I don't know. So going on to the next point in the letter. Still other material is misleading. The project criticizes Abraham Lincoln's views on racial equality, but ignores his conviction that the Declaration of Independence proclaimed universal equality for blacks as well as whites, a view he upheld repeatedly against powerful white supremacists who opposed him. Now this is directly attacking a passage from the opening essay which gives a an account of Abraham Lincoln meeting with black leaders during the Civil War to basically offer them the opportunity to be shipped off to another country okay. along with all black Americans. So basically it was, we got funding from Congress to hire ships to send all black Americans to another country that blacks suffer from living with whites in America and whites suffer from living with blacks in America. So in order to preserve our union, y'all can go. Hmm. This is not disputed as factual I in this letter, right? Sure. It just says, but you didn't say that he was also a cool guy who thought that blacks and whites were equal, which is not factually correct at all. It's been brought up many, many times and is a matter of historical fact that when he was running for president, Abraham Lincoln said many, many times that he was not going to abolish slavery, that he had no intention of doing so, and that it wasn't until the South seceded that that really became an option or became what he really needed to do to get through the Civil War. So I don't know why they pick that if their point is to attack the historical veracity of the 1619 Project. Sure. And they basically say, well, you don't treat Abraham Lincoln fairly. Well, that's not a matter of fact, is it? It's just being critical. It's just axe grinding. <laughs> okay. And I'm not being, I'm not like skipping a bunch of stuff that was like pointing out facts that were wrong. This is literally your only points in this letter. And the last one is the project asserts that the United States was found on racial slavery, an argument rejected by a majority of abolitionists and proclaimed by champions of slavery like John C. Calhoun. So this is really just a bad faith argument saying that, well, you know who believed that the United States was found on slavery, right? People who wanted slaves. And for the record, they actually make that exact same argument in the 1776 report, like verbatim. Probably where they got it from. And it's also not a historical argument. You cannot say that when America was founded, slavery was illegal. <laughs> Right. So how is it incorrect to say that the United States was founded on slavery? It was founded on slavery. Ten of the first 12 presidents were slave owners. The richest people in the country were either people who owned large amounts of slaves or made their money from other people owning slaves. Well, and I wonder if it's the because that's also a big crux in the 1776 report, too, where they'll talk about slavery saying that, well, it happened, but that's not what Americans believed. They're kind of like no true Scotsman, like fallacying this whole thing. Right. So I think a big piece of contention here, which in my opinion is very disingenuous, is that 
just because something isn't intentional or like concrete on paper, we are going to have slaves. And that's the whole point of why we're building this country. That doesn't mean that you're completely anti-slavery the entire time. I think that's what they're kind of trying to allude to here, where just because the United States wasn't on paper, like a big pro-slavery in our constitution state or a nation, then we were by definition not for slavery. They purposefully hid the fact that slavery, because they were getting criticism from England by asking for liberty while also being the biggest slave owners. Right. That That's something that was used against them many times. That doesn't mean it wasn't there. If slavery was not established by the Constitution, why did it take a constitutional amendment to end it? Correct. And by pointing out that hypocrisy, the all men are created equal, written by someone who literally owned men which we'll also talk about is is not distorting history it's owning up to it and the only other criticism that i saw in that letter was basically stating that the process behind vetting the articles and and who was involved was too opaque and that that needed to be brought to light by the new york times and they did write a response to it and they did give their account of how all the scholarship came to be who was involved things like that okay the only thing that they have since changed which was made a big deal of at the time like oh they're starting to to walk back from the 1619 project which is of course not true they did change the wording of that opening essay to say that instead of saying that slavery was a main cause behind the american revolution they changed it to say slavery was the main cause for some colonists for the american revolution that's like the most change that they made which they did get some criticism from people who were a little bit more reasonable than these five historicists on stating that they were a little bit too assertive with that contention that preserving slavery was the main reason behind the revolution. Okay. So, moving on to some of the quote-unquote liberal criticism, which I would argue this guy is centrist, but he calls himself a liberal Soviet. John McWhorter, the associate professor of English at Columbia University, not a historian, but he is a, a linguistic professor, and that does delve into history quite a bit. I watched a debate that he did about the 1619 Project, and the quote that I picked out, which I think kind of sums up his position, I'm not sure that in order for black people to overcome, all Americans need to understand what we've been through and exactly why there are the disparities today. That is a direct quote, and I think it's very telling. So is he saying that like we should just ignore it right just move on with our lives we don't need to have everyone understand the history of black people in america in order for us to overcome that history that's bizarre what a weird thing to say and that's kind of what you see from a lot of the conservatives is oh it's this is a very cynical project all it does is teach that black people were oppressed throughout history it doesn't show them the, the good parts of a and slavery <laughs> and it also they talk about it like 
you know, oh, you don't need to make people angry by giving them the bad stuff. Let's just talk about George Washington Carver and Peanuts, which incidentally is about the only thing I ever learned during Black History Month in public school, but is kind of that just hand-waving dismissal of history. And, well, you know, some people have it good today, so we don't really have to worry about anything that happened before and why there might still be issues. And we talked about this a lot during the redlining I was just going to bring that up. You know, that's a direct consequence of people not believing in things like redlining or even understanding the complexities of redlining and systemic racism today. And in line with that uh, kind of line of of criticism, you have some critics from the extreme left. Now, when I say extreme left, I don't mean what Donald Trump and the Republicans mean by, you know, radical left, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden, the radical left, (laughs) the social communists. Right. I mean, communists. I mean, Marxist Trotskyists. Oh, so you do mean Joe Biden. (laughs) In a September 2019 manifesto on the World Socialist website. Where did you find this? (laughs) Well, this is actually where all of those historians that we talked about in the beginning that sent the letter. Sure. They originally, uh, a lot of them had pieces posted on this World Socialist website because they were gathering criticism on the the 1619 Project. Hmm. And they called the 1619 Project a politically motivated falsification of history that legitimizes the effort of the Democratic Party to construct an electoral coalition based on the prioritization of personal identities, i.e. gender, sexual preference, ethnicity, and above all race, and called the New York Times a mouthpiece of the Democratic Party and the privileged upper middle class layers it represents. So why would a leftist publication be against the 1619 Project? Yeah. Because they want everything to be filtered through a class framework. They don't want race to be an explanation for anything. It needs to just be class because that's what communism kind of is. It seeks to solve all of the world's problems through class struggle. It's not interested in racial disparities. Hmm. So essentially they're saying that you need to stop thinking of any kind of hardship that you have now. Why are you oppressed currently? It's not because of a system of racism that began 400 years ago and that continues to this day. It's all due with class struggle and capitalism. And specifically the 1619 Project, one of the essays talks about the problems with current day capitalism stemming from plantations and is very does have very strong explanatory powers when you talk about the putting down of poor black recently freed slaves and sharecroppers and not giving them any kind of social net going hand in hand with also keeping down poor whites who are in the same position. So when you see things like the current day Republican Party constantly push the stereotype of minorities and immigrants being the ones on welfare and social programs, and that's the reason we need to cut funding for Social Security and Medicare and not invest in them because they're just being taken advantage of by minorities 
and immigrants. It's also keeping down whites who are voting to do that because of racism, Mm -hmm. which is all born from slavery because our country was built on the idea that whites are superior to blacks who are subhuman. And that's how we can say all men are created equal, but yet we own black people is because they're not men. All of those things tie together. So for the communists to argue that race has nothing to do with it, is, in my opinion, a incorrect interpretation of what is going on demonstrably now, because you still see it every day in politics. Well, you even see that same sort of argument being played out in today's time, too, right? Where you see, well, you know, it's not the fact that, you know, black people are poor because they're dealing with black systemic racism. It's just the fact that it's all class issues, right? And so you don't have to necessarily even be a socialist or a Marxist. You hear the same arguments coming from the right as well, sometimes. And even then, it's just, there's nothing wrong with, like, these aren't mutually exclusive terms here. These are things that can also coexist and still be problematic for everyone. So I don't know why we have this weird hand-waving mindset with this whole thing. So it is one thing that the far right and the far left can agree on, and that's racism. They both like it. And that Joe Biden's a communist. <laughs> well, trust me, the, the far left is not considered <laughs> Joe Biden to be communist. And that brings us to the 1776 Commission. So we have a lot of criticism of this, but have you found a lot of praise or approval or support of this project from scholars? The majority of the scholarly community supports this project. Okay. You only see these pieces being written by a handful of historians, generally with some sort of axe to grind. You'd see a lot of conservatives like coming out of the Heritage Foundation. Sure. But we're talking about well-established, distinguished professors. You're, you're saying that the consensus of the historical community is in agreement with the majority of this, at least, for the most part. Yeah, the only, the only thing that I saw any kind of universal scrutiny about was that contention of the the initial cause or the reasoning behind going yeah, to the colonies right by by saying that protecting the institution of slavery was the main sure. concern okay of the revolutionary war that's and they've since changed that to say from some and they have we didn't bring it up specifically but the the 1619 commission cites some communications between colonies saying that they are worried about England abolishing slavery. So there's documented proof of at least some people being worried about that. But I guess the the difference between it being some people who are worried about it and the main focus is enough to get a lot of people's uh, panties in a bunch, so to speak. <laughs> and that brings us to the 1776 commission and report. If you don't know why Jason failed to bring up right-wing criticism, here you go. They created an entire presidential commission. They got so triggered by this. So let's start at the very beginning. The 1776 commission was an advisory committee established by President Trump, or now former President Trump, back in September. The main goal was to establish a quote-unquote more patriotic education. We actually talked about this in an earlier episode, and I was fuming. I do remember that. Um, This was actually in the wake of the massive Black Lives Matter protests after the murder of George Floyd, and obviously in response to the New York Times 1619 project. Not only is Trump a former president, but as we learned earlier, this commission is a former commission. It is. 
In the announcement for the commission, Trump decried what he said was a, quote, twisted web of lies being taught in U.S. classrooms about systemic racism in America, calling it, also, quote, a form of child abuse. So, again, let's start from right there. He would know about child abuse from what I hear, though. (laughs) Our president is calling history and teaching of history child abuse. You can't teach people that the founding fathers did anything wrong. Yes, They built their fortunes on the backs of enslaved people. Yes, they owned people. Yes, some of them maybe raped their slaves and had illegitimate children by them and then did not free them when they died. But they didn't do anything wrong. I can't even think of an answer to that. (laughs) It was consensual, though. You can have consensual sex with your property. Damn it. I'm trying to think like legal loopholes now. I'm like, oh, Jesus, where's my head going? This isn't good. Later, the LA Times reported about the commission, quote, unsurprisingly, the 18 commission members Trump appointed do not represent a broad mix of scholars but are drawn from the ranks of Christian conservatives, right-wing historians, and Republican loyalists who presumably share his rosy view of the United States history. That's because this thing's a complete and total hack job. This isn't a research project. This is not a scholarly article. This is not a well-cited... Actually, there's no citations. There are no citations at all in this 1776 report. So, of course... When you have the vast majority of scholars, and Jason, this is why I asked you, you know, how the vast majority of scholars in academia felt about this. Who do you find when almost everybody agrees with the 1619 project? You get the crazies. Yeah, even the some of the people that we talked about earlier that had a little bit more good faith criticism are also not fans of Trump and would not participate in the 1776 commission. So months went by, we forgot about the commission that was happening. And then actually last Monday on January 18th, the commission released its actual report on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, almost spitting in the eye of all civil rights progress we've been making so far. I'm sure that was on purpose too. Very symbolic. Stephen Miller's not a racist. (laughs) And then like we already spoiled before, Trump lost the election. Biden revoked that patriotic education. Thanks mainly to the descendants of enslaved Africans. In Georgia. So why are we still talking about this if it's not going to happen? We also need to understand that this was something that was passed from our White House to be taught as historical fact. And this stuff is insane. Washington Post came out with an article from a ton of different historians calling it a complete and total hack job. Historian Kevin M. Levin tweeted, The idea that the 1776 commission can be ignored because it will not be implemented misses the point. The fact that it was published by the White House gives this project a heightened level of legitimacy. Those of us who work in history education ignore it at our own peril. So just because it's not going to happen does not mean that we can ignore that this actually did happen. Because this stuff is completely insane and we'll talk about it and we'll go through it but just realize the significance of how important it is that we were this close to a completely almost dystopian style of leadership where they're trying to pass a completely revisionist and patriotic form of history to make future generations love their country more jingoism at its finest literally so i will confess 
I didn't look at the 1776 report. I spent all of my time doing trying actual to, reading, trying to look into the. Why do I feel like I got the short end of the stick here, man? <laughs> Looking into the 1619 project, <laughs> its criticisms, are they valid? What is the support for their claims? That sort of thing. Uh, and we both do also have, uh, unfortunately, full time endeavors beyond this podcast. I can just imagine the 1776 report as someone jerking off a statue of George Washington while playing Yankee Doodle Dandy on a harmonica while fireworks go off. It is basically that. You were not that far off. So the 1776 project is 45 pages long and it's complete of total nonsense. One thing I want to talk to you about is the ooze of patriotism and love for this country that this report gives out. It clearly defines America as a centerpiece of the entire world and shows or it consistently tries to show that America is unique and special than any other country in the world, which again, for a piece that's talking about history is trying very hard to make an argument about how great our own country is. Something that you probably see out of China or something out of North Korea. So Jason, what I want to do is I want to go through some of this article with you, talk about some of the quotes that I found, and then see how you feel about since you've been researching the 1619 project. Sound good? Let's do it. All right. So let's start with the stated purpose of the report. Quote, the declared purpose of the President's Advisory 1776 Commission is to enable a rising generation to understand the history and principles of the founding of the United States in 1776 and to strive to form a more perfect union. That is their goal with this. Which is literally the only thing you do learn in American history (laughs) in school. So from there on out, we start getting the patriotism added in. In their first sentence of the actual report, in the course of human events, there have always been those who deny or reject human freedom, but Americans will never falter in defending the fundamental truths of human liberty proclaimed on July 4th, 1776. We will, we must always hold these truths. Except we didn't. Well, and that's a good segue into talking about this idea of eternal truths, where they talk about, and Jason, we actually just discussed this a little bit earlier, the idea of all men are created equal. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. They rely hard on the assumption that these are self-evident truths that are eternal and that American principles are based on eternal moral truths. Supernatural ones. We'll get to that. (laughs) They do actually try to go out of the way in the beginning of the report to discuss whether it's by or whether these rights are given to us by nature or by what some people would call God. And they'll always reference both nature and God through a majority of the report. But by the end of it, they just straight up say, you know, a family who prays to the almighty God together, you know, is one that like lives together or something like that. It's ridiculous. Well, God is apparently a lot weaker than the slavers because they were able to take liberty away from millions of people. I mean, you're right. (laughs) Nary a God to be seen to go against their actions. So let's go back to more of the oozing of patriotism and love for country. Another quote, the commission's first responsibility is to produce a report summarizing the principles of the American founding and how those principles have shaped our country. That can only be done by truthfully recounting the aspirations and actions of the men and women who sought to build America's as a shining, quote, city on the hill. Which is a Ronald Reagan quote. Mm -hmm. An exemplary nation, one that protects the safety and promotes the happiness of its people. As an example to be admired and emulated by nations of the world that wish to steer their government toward greater liberty and justice. 
So in this historical retelling of America's history, we are the hero of the entire world. We're not just a good country. We're not just a great country. We are the hero that other countries wish to be, which is a very, very, USA. Right, USA. very weird. And I mean, you said it, Jangoistic style of trying to preserve our history here. Very accurate historical retelling grounded in fact of the birth of our country. I mean, this is literally being like retold in the way the Bible tries to retell the history of like the Israelites, where the Israelites are always the yeah they the kill champion. everybody even though there's no evidence, but they're the so, heroes of it yeah. all. You know, they're the good guys. We destroyed all those Canaanites, right? <laughs> those blasphemers, and then we marched out of Egypt, even though there's no record of that. <laughs> and like I said before, they talk about how America is a unique country and it's different than other countries. Um, another quote: "In two decisive respects, the United States of America is unique. First, it has a definite birthday. That's number one." <laughs> July 4th, 1776. No other country has a date number two country it declares from the moment of its founding not merely the principles on which its new government will be based it asserts those principles to be true and universal quote applicable to all men in all times as abraham lincoln said and i kid you not jason they actually address the fact that no other nations also had birthdays but people were always living in those countries anyway so it wasn't like a real thing so there were no people here in america that we subjugated, killed, stole, lied to, killed again, and committed a genocide upon? Actually, according to this report, there was no mention of that. Hmm. There is no mention of any Native Americans, any indigenous people, any slaughters, any genocides done by the American people, done by the American government on Native people. Nothing. And that is a criticism that is also pushed against the 1619 Project, that they don't do enough to talk about Native Americans and their history of oppression. But again, the purpose of that project is to literally talk about the history of slavery by African slaves and how that shaped the birth of America. So I kind of can see why it wouldn't sure. include. But Whereas this is just... if we're talking about the literal history right. of the continent. <laughs> this is like pure hand-waving, you know, just don't look at this stuff. Don't, don't We were placed here directly by white Jesus. <laughs> and when you talk about like saying that they're, it's unique because and then listing things that other countries definitely have does very much remind me of the christian dogma saying that christianity is unique because it has a dying and rising god which again clearly there are many other examples of that from the same area at the same time yep it's just the atheist in me coming out on that one <laughs> oh and they'll talk about that too then we get to the all men are created equal section um, the assertion that all men are created equal must also be properly understood it does not mean that all human beings are equal in wisdom courage or any of the other virtues and talents that God and nature, there's that little distinction there, distribute unevenly among the human race. It means rather that human beings are equal in the sense that they are not by nature divided into castes with natural rulers and ruled. 
What do you think about that, Jason? So it doesn't mean anything then, right? I, I mean, if we're all naked in the woods, we're all equal. Great. But it's never been like that throughout the entire human history. We've never all been on equal footing. It's like, well, yeah, we're all divided up into different classes now, but that's not the way God intended it. Well, and like you said before, the fact that it took an amendment to end slavery completely disputes this fact. When they say we are not by nature divided into castes with natural rulers and the ruled. Okay, but that means we had to go out of our way to create the castes that we had in our country we are clearly not by this definition equal now how did it get like that if we're if we live in the country that's supposed to be the most equal by divine right then how come we're not all equal how come there are people living in poverty and people that have extreme wealth i thought ronald reagan and jesus solve this did we not yankee doodle hard enough no we didn't this then goes into some other eternal principles they talk about you probably have heard this as well the idea of the fundamental human rights that we have the life liberty and the pursuit of happiness those are repeated often throughout the first couple of sections as well so they really talk about the idea of truth and these american principles as you'll see like religious people talk about truth the idea of truth with a capital t it is the objective moral standard truth and there's no way that it could ever be revised because this is how it is forever odd that we took tens of thousands of years of human history to get to the point shut up you shut up (laughs) this is moral everlasting eternal truth you shut up another quote we confront finally that the difficulty that the eternal principles elucidated in the declaration were stated and became the basis for an actual government only a relatively short time ago yet if these principles are both eternal and accessible to the human mind why were they not discovered and acted upon long before 17 1976. Hey, that's what I said. Well, they have an answer. In a sense, the precepts of the American founders were known to prior thinkers, but those thinkers stated them in entirely different terms to fit the different political and intellectual circumstances of their times. Then what does that mean? <laughs> they just screwed up when they were trying to say They're it. They're just too freaking stupid. <laughs> but they knew it. But again, this is the same type of crap that we've heard when we were um, dealing with like fundamental religious people back in the day, Jason, where they said, well, you already know Jesus in your heart. You know, you already know, you know, in your soul that the, God exists. Yeah, the presuppositionalist. Right. I mean, th- this is basically what this is. This is a presuppositionalist argument for American principles. So to speed things up, they do go through more sections about a little bit later in history about Reformation and civil rights movements, but they're very watered down. Nothing too much happens. You could find as many issues with it as you just heard here, but I'm not going to bore you with all those details. What I now want to get to, though, is the challenges to the American principles. So they list several different challenges to these American principles. Jason, do you want to guess what any of these challenges are? Uh, Civil rights. Certain people being too uppity. Okay. Challenges to capitalism. Okay. Anything that affects the family values, the uh, traditional family. Okay. So the five that are listed as challenges to America's principles are slavery, progressivism. I should have said progress. I was thinking it. I think they wouldn't be that on the nose with it. Fascism, communism, and racism and identity politics. Those are the challenges to America's principles. 
Surprised they didn't go with the family values thing. Like, Well, I mean, in their next session, the task of national renewal, they talk about the role of the family. I got most of the other ones in there. So you, I'll, I'll give you a half a point for that one because it's in the <laughs> report just later in. They did say communism, which that's the, they got to defend capitalism. Yep. So let's start about how they open about these challenges to American principles. The Constitution has proven sturdy against narrow interest groups that seek to change elements of the Constitution merely to get their way. At the same time, it is important to note that by design, there is room in the Constitution for significant change and reform. Indeed, great reforms like abolition, women's suffrage, anti-communism, the civil rights movement, and the pro-life movement have often become forward that improve our dedication to the principles of the Declaration of Independence under the Constitution. So... This is the craziest thing that you've read so far. <laughs> the Constitution. So now, again, this we are the first country ever. The American Founding Fathers were the first ones ever to get these completely self-evident truths down on paper correctly. Yes. That was the problem with every other country ever founded, every other constitution ever written. This is written. what makes America unique. They got it perfect. This was some supernatural inspiration to get moral authority down correctly. So correctly that it's even proven strong against challenges from narrow interest groups. Yep. I know where you're going with this. That seek to change it. But also that by design, there's room for significant change and reform. Yep. Like abolishing slavery, something that if you were an enlightened, perfect being, you might think of day one. Or or even just as the leader of the world that other countries emulate to be, we would have figured this out on the first try. Literally the worst thing you can do as humans is right. enslave fellow humans. So the best America could do is, well, I mean, we'll, we'll leave some space in it for later. Women's suffrage. Oh, yeah. We didn't also think that Women half of the population yeah. was equal. So minorities aren't equal. Specifically, black people aren't equal. Women aren't equal. We got both of those things wrong. Yep. Anti-communism? Where is that in the Constitution? Nowhere. The civil rights movement. Oh, yeah. We, we said that you couldn't be enslaved anymore, but we also didn't give you any rights and constantly tried to take and destroy everything that you've built. To the point where they had to then. riot to get their rights. So, oopsies are bad again. We got the same thing wrong twice. Eh. And the pro-life movement. Oh, my God. Which is actually <laughs> directly not in our Constitution. So much so that if you were to ban abortion, that would be considered unconstitutional. Yep, it would be struck down. The, this is insane. And again, I want to reiterate, this is from our White House. And my just the irony that comes from the has proven sturdy against narrow interest groups, but also, you know, we have changed it so that we freed slaves, gave women the right to vote, and also gave minorities civil rights. Narrow interest groups. <laughs> I don't know he's, what to say to that. He's literally scratching his head. He that, doesn't know what to do. Those two sentences together <laughs> make hurt my head. <laughs> I still just keep reading them over and over again, just thinking trying to see what's they're going to make sense. Hey, it ain't going to happen, Sometime. man. It's like the Ouroboros, like <laughs> you know, just eating itself. Are those two sentences together? I cannot literally believe that. Like, oh yeah, it's it's 
completely sturdy against change, except these radical changes that were done, two of which we're lying about. Anti- I don't even know what they mean by anti-communism. Well, it's basically... Um, which? It's atheistic, like... Which amendment is away that? Of rights. You know, the, the atheist amendment. <laughs> the atheist amendment where we were outlawed. Yeah. Well, I, no, no, it'd be the one that atheists were the ones that could only be in power. That, so, so they were anti that. They're anti-only atheists being in power. I mean, so... <laughs> I mean, they're saying, like, these were great reforms, and these are supposed to be examples of reforms. So changes to the Constitution. Yep. Abolition, definitely, 13th Amendment. Although slavery, and we didn't mention this in the whole show, slavery is still legal in the United States uh, if you're a prisoner. Mm-hmm. Read the 13th Amendment. Slavery is legal if read, you're a prisoner. Read the new Jim Crow. So, but I at least get what they're saying with abolition. Women's suffrage, get that one. 19th Amendment, remember, which we got right on the first guess. Yes, but remember. And didn't are not re-recording we, this at all. We amended that after we gave people alcohol. <laughs> Yeah, we took it away and then gave the, it back. The eternal truths of that <laughs> women are people were after alcohol. And yeah, these these it's it's proven sturdy against narrow interest groups, you know, like the teetotalers. <laughs> I mean, because we just amended it back after we accidentally amended it. Something happened. There was a hiccup in our perfect system. So, okay. But anti-communism, I don't even know... <laughs> I don't even it's civil a, rights hurt, too. Civil hurt. rights is not a a, a a constitutional amendment. It's a civil rights act. It's legislation. It's not. So this, I don't know who wrote this, but they are not good. I mean, you're right with that. So okay, let's. Move I feel on. like we're just babbling, but. I mean, you just lost your mic. I think I broke you. I think that's the real problem. When talking about these challenges, um, here's another quote for them. More problematic have been movements that reject the fundamental truths of the Declaration of Independence and seek to destroy our constitutional order. So I want you to keep in mind that when we talk through these challenges, these are rejecting the quote-unquote fundamental truths of the Declaration of Independence, which they declared earlier were eternal and also broke Jason's brain. Let's start with slavery. The most common charge leveled against the founders and hence against our country itself is that they were hypocrites who didn't believe in their stated principles and therefore the country they built rests on a lie. True. And I I completely disagree with the idea that if you challenge the founders of the country, you must therefore challenge the entire country itself. We all are English now because we said that George Washington was a dick. That's so idiotic. What? Technically, we'd be French here, right? This was uh, French territory. (laughs) Yes. So our founders have to be perfect in order for us to actually love our country. We can't actually talk about and challenge what our founders did. That's dogmatism. That is what totalitarian regimes do. Cannot speak ill of the great people that came before. And it's just not realistic. You can say that, yes, it was a different time. Africans were not thought of as human in the same way that Europeans were. And that's the lens that America was founded in. So, Jason, how do you think they're going to get around this idea that we actually did have a lot of slaves in America? That that was destiny. They were given a better life by being brought to America. Oh, uh, it's 
better. Let me give you this. Ready? Quote, it is very hard for people brought up in the comforts of modern America in a time in which the idea that all human beings are inviolable rights and inherent dignity is almost taken for granted to imagine the cruelties and enormities that were endemic in earlier times. But here's their answer. The unfortunate fact is that the institution of slavery has been more the rule than the exception throughout human history. But I thought that America was exceptional. Now we're not anymore. We're just going along with everybody else. Um, If America jumped off a bridge, would you follow? (laughs) Well, here's where their exceptionalism comes in. It was the Western world's repudiation of slavery only just beginning to build at the home of the American Revolution, which marked a dramatic sea change in moral sensibilities. The American founders were living on the cusp of this change in a manner that straddled the two worlds. So literally, their argument is... Well, everyone was doing it. We were kind of just the ones that were starting to stop. But also the United States was not nearly the first country to abolish slavery. I, we were the third what? last country I just, I can't in America, this. in the Americas. We were the third to last country to abolish slavery. So not only were we not on the leading cusp of abolitionism, we were pulled kicking and screaming by a civil war. We needed to fight a war to abolish slavery. Whereas in England, for example, it was done with legislation. Let's move on to progressivism. Jason, want to hear how you're un-American? Sure. All right. We. (laughs) Although not at all one piece and not without its practical merits, the political thought of progressivism held that the times had moved far beyond the founding era and that contemporary society was way too complex any longer to be governed by principles formulated in 18th century. That's a bad thing, Jason. Yeah, and it, I mean, that's why we still have politics, right? Right. (laughs) Well, like, of course, Times move on. What are you talking about? You know, I mean, the biggest, you know, the biggest argument that progressives use, like with the Second Amendment, is we weren't expecting rocket launchers and machine guns when the Second Amendment was drafted. Well, and also, and this is a different argument. I understand. Maybe we'll do a gun control episode. Read the Second Amendment. It does not say anything about every citizen should be able to carry guns. It specifically says that there should be well-maintained militias that are able to keep firearms because at that point they were worried about federal overreach and so they said fine state militias which have turned into state national guards are allowed to have firearms to protect themselves from the tyrannical federal government so if you want to interpret it the way it was written i'm fine with national guardsmen having guns and not everyone who can find their way into a Walmart. And a couple more on progressivism. More significantly, the progressives held that truths were not permanent, but only relative to their time. They rejected the self-evident truth of the declaration that all men are created equal and are endowed equally by either a nature or by God with unchanging rights. Based on this false understanding of rights, the progressives designed a new system of government instead of securing fundamental rights grounded in nature, government, operating under a new theory of living, quote-unquote, constitution, should constantly evolve to secure evolving rights. Are they arguing against? Yes, this is bad. This is all bad. If they take it on principle that everyone's equal and deserves equal rights, and if that's the way things worked, then sure, you don't need to do anything to give anyone rights. But it's not that way, as we still are constantly fighting for rights for immigrants, rights for transgender people, rights for gay people, rights for every group that's been oppressed for the history of time. That's the way it works. 
like we just said in this other part where they talk about significant change and reform. Why was that needed if everyone was already endowed with all of these rights that we all have as long as we're white landowners? So then the report gets into fascism and communism, two different sections. They're kind of self-explanatory. Um, obviously, they're upset about totalitarianism. They don't like tyranny. I'm not going to bore with all those details. And then communism, they just don't like. Well, because I, I wouldn't disagree. Right. And the same here, too. Like, And then with communism, they're just upset that I, something along the lines of they don't like the idea of a governing elite running everything. They want the idea of the free market and people to be the ones that are making the decisions. And that's where the people can actually be freer here. And then they get into some weird atheistic communism stuff and it's stupid. <laughs> so it's just we don't want the government to be the ones running people's lives. We want it to be the corporations. Right. But the last one, racism and identity politics. To start it off, Jason, the 13th Amendment to the Constitution passed after the Civil War brought an end to the legal slavery. Blacks enjoyed a new equality and freedom, voting for and holding elective office in states across the Union. Until they were murdered by white supremacists. But don't worry, Jason, as I keep saying, but it did not bring an end to racism or to the unequal treatment of blacks everywhere. Why not? Because of just bad people, Jason. Must have been all those communists. And also keep in mind with, I'm not going to go over everything because we're running short of time, but um, in this racism and identity politics section, they quote Martin Luther King like crazy. And only Martin Luther King. They don't talk about anyone else other than Martin Luther King and like his one quote from I, his I Have a Dream speech that conservatives love the quote. And that's it. Nothing else. And that quote from Martin Luther King Jr. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The one quote that conservatives will use consistently to push their rhetoric. They'll also have a couple of pictures of um, the March on Washington, which is incredibly frustrating because they'll talk about the evils of socialism and communism and things like that and more government control, even though the March on Washington was literally called the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, which is about social jobs programs. <laughs> but they, he said that they always had freedom. If you interpret his quote that way, why would they have to march for it? This is literally the equivalent of like your super racist aunt or uncle or whatever saying, you know, well, I don't like the BLM protest, but I like, you know, how we should have like with Martin Luther King and stuff as a civil rights protest. This is the White House level equivalent of your racist aunt or uncle doing that to you. Luckily, our racist uncle is no longer president. And then they get into identity politics. The civil rights movement was almost immediately turned to programs that ran counter to the lofty ideals of the founders. The ideas that drove this change had been growing in America for decades, and they distorted many areas of policy in the half century that followed. Among distortions was the abandonment of non-discrimination and equal opportunity in favor of quote-unquote group rights, not unlike those advanced by Calhoun and his followers. Harkening back oh, to our earlier Oh, it gets quote. better. The justification for reversing the promise of colorblind civil rights. Oh, man. Was the past discrimination requires present effort or affirmative action in the form of preferential treatment to overcome long accrued inequalities. A.K.A. All Lives Matter. One big criticism that this section has is that they omit the part where Martin Luther King was around when affirmative action first took hold. 
and that he was in favor of affirmative action programs. It is very much like the analogy of someone starting a race where one runner is three quarters finished and the other's at the starting line. And they just say go at the same time. Yeah, and they're like, well, what do you mean? It was a fair race. We both started at the same time. We had the same opportunity to begin (laughs) together. And that's what it is when you say, well, you know, we should just treat everyone equally. There should be no attempt to try to fix the disparity that's existed for hundreds of years. And then to finish out identity politics, quote, identity politics makes it less likely that racial reconciliation and healing can be attained by pursuing Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream for America and upholding the highest ideals of our Constitution and our Declaration of Independence. So those are the challenges to our American principles, Jason. This whole thing. This is insanity. Normally, we like to have a nice lighthearted romp on this show i'm a little upset currently and uh hopefully as a a listener you are as well it does affirm my previous disdain towards conservative politics this is just nonsense and it's it's just ignoring our history in favor of the status quo which is what i feel conservative politics is and is what I very much dislike about it. Why are you complaining? You have the same opportunity that I do, as long as we ignore all of the history of our country and why there is a vastly disproportionate gap between white America and everyone else. And this also kind of goes back to this mindset of there is a certain way Americans have to behave. You know, when we're talking about we have to preserve the way that we came from from we have to preserve these american ideals and if you go against any of these ideals or if you just disagree with it you are un-american and therefore you are worth less to this country because you are against these ideals which is very fascistic you know fascism is apparently against american ideals and then i just want to end with one last quote jason in their role of the family section here we go By their very nature, families are the first educators teaching children how to treat others with respect, make wise decisions, exercise patience, think for themselves, and steadfastly guard their God-given liberties. And it goes on to say, When parents serve a neighbor in need, they model charity and prove that every human being was inherent or has inherent worth. And when families pray together, they acknowledge together the providence of the Almighty God who gave them their sacred liberty. Praise Jeebus. Again. So is that the only role for family in this whole thing is just to be prayer buddies? This was our White House. I don't know if I could do any more of this. <laughs> it, I, I don't want to. It it goes on. It has like a teaching America section where it tells us how we should teach incorrect things scholarship of freedom and then the american mind and then it goes into more craziness in their appendix which is just absolute nonsense well, i think we've spent too much time on this nonsense already the only thing that makes this good and hopefully funny or lighthearted, is the fact that this isn't reality anymore we came so close remember almost 80 million americans voted for this This is what they wanted, and they almost put this into place. So just imagine what would have happened if Joe Biden was not elected. Imagine what would have happened if Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff weren't elected. We were so close to something even worse coming our way, and we barely evaded it. But we did, and that's really good. So whenever anyone, anyone tries to tell you about how horrible and evil Joe Biden is, and for record, feel free 
free to cl- or feel free to criticize him as much as you want as well. But if anyone tries to tell you that Joe Biden's super evil or that the parties are basically the same or that Biden's just as bad as Trump, tell him that Trump tried to put this in place. One of the most fascistic, jangoistic education programs in American history that goes against the historical record all because they were triggered by a New York Times project. So to cleanse you all, to end this on a very high note, I'm going to end this with the ending of Amanda Gorman's poem that she said at Joe Biden's inauguration, The Hill We Climb. So let us leave behind a country better than the one we were left with. Every breath from my bronze-pounded chest, we will raise the wounded world into a wondrous one. We will rise from the gold-limbed hills of the West. We will rise from the wind-swept Northeast, where our forefathers first realized revolution. We will rise from the lake-rimmed cities of the Midwest states. We will rise from the sun-baked south. We will rebuild, reconcile, and recover. And every known nook of our nation and every corner called our country. Our people diverse and beautiful will emerge, battered and beautiful. When day comes, we step out of the shade, aflame and unafraid. The new dawn blooms as we free it, for there is always light if we're only brave enough to see it, if we're only brave enough to be it. Thank you for listening. We hope to see you in the next episode. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at ThinkProPod. You can email us at ThinkProPod at gmail.com. And remember, when in doubt, think progressively. Cut that all out. <laughs> that was that was all bad. I didn't like any of it. Just remove it from so existence. So starting at the top. <laughs> Hello and welcome <laughs> to... We have some good news! <laughs> have invaluable rights. Viable. 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 I can't say it. Viable. Inviolable. Good lord. Or even, um, I was going to say South Korea. (laughs) Those damn South Koreans. Um, All their Nokia phones.